Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. So glad you tuned in today. We got another great, great podcast uh, with some incredible foundational truth that we want to establish. Uh, we're in a book right now, as we've talked about. Andrew's got it here. Uh, the book that made your world, and, uh, and what's phenomenal is uh, when you begin to look at some of the, the pillars, you know, the cornerstones of uh, Western civilization, uh, you realize that so much of it goes right back to the Bible and truths that are in the Bible. And so last week we talked about uh, an exciting truth, just an understanding of humanity, human nature. This week we're going to get into another uh, great truth because you talk about rationality. But before we do that, uh, we always like to recap a little bit about what's going on. And uh, as you're listening to this podcast, uh, we are launching a team into the Ukraine. And um, and I know that's from a geopolitical standpoint, that's controversial, but we're not launching geopolitical uh, teams. We're yeah. launching uh, humanitarian teams. Yeah, absolutely. We're sending a medical team yep. uh, with a lot of medical supplies. And we I don't know exactly what city they're going to, but it's definitely, I was talking to one of the team members yesterday and shall we just say, let's keep them in our prayers. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Lots of traveling, lots of driving, you know. Yeah, so. and what I love is uh, this has been something that our network has been a part of, uh, working directly with uh, pastors on the ground. Yeah. So literally, when you say, like, every cent that's given to the Ukraine, and I know we invested as a church and other churches and our network invested, but literally every cent, every dollar uh, is going directly to the people that are in need. That's another beautiful thing. That's another discussion on why uh, humanitarian efforts uh, and uh, the caring of the poor and the needy needs to be run through private means and especially through the church, because uh, when you compare what we're doing with the uh, latest government base bailout uh, that was sent to the Ukraine uh, uh, of our tax Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the SVB bank instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we have a lot. We're not going to get there today, yeah. yeah. I thought you were talking about the bank bailout. But, but what I love is yeah. this is this is not about go corrupt governments. We yeah. know both those governments are corrupt, uh, speaking of Russia and uh, and the Ukraine. That's not the issue. But, but yeah. what is the issue is there are a lot of people that are needy and hurting, uh, this coming through winter and um, uh, medical needs, food needs, you know, all yeah. kinds of needs. So I'm really excited. I, I, how many do we have going? It was like right around 20 people, I think, from our I'm not exactly sure. from our church. And so, team, yeah, yeah, so please, please keep them in prayer. Uh, this is this is as cutting edge as it gets. And this to me is another testimony of our Christian worldview, because uh, it just simply says, you know, Jesus cares for the hurting and the broken and the poor and the and those victimized by war and other things and tragedy. Uh, uh, and uh, if you're a believer, you have a heart to go, you know, and minister in the name of Jesus in these places. And you don't find a lot of atheists doing that. So once again, it points to the to the reality of the Christian worldview. Ideas have consequences, and Jesus gives us a heart for uh, for those that that are in need. So yeah, absolutely, we're, we're believing for many supernatural encounters, divine appointments, breakthroughs, and and a lot of help. And uh, just continue to pray uh, as they as they leave today for uh, for that country. So. And then we also have a powerful event coming up this weekend. One uh, of my favorite people yeah. coming into town, uh, Ivan Tate, uh, strong prophetic voice. But if, you, if you've uh, not sat under Ivan's ministry, he'll have you uh, laughing one moment and, and, uh, weeping, and weeping the next, and then he's prophesying, and uh, it's going to be a powerful time. So he'll be with us this coming Sunday, all three services, so get here early. Um, if you'd like to be in the main sanctuary, and also he will be here on Sunday night at 7 o'clock and Monday night at 7 o'clock. 
Uh, and again, that will be all three services, all of our congregation trying to fit into one sanctuary at one time. And so that's impossible. So get here early mm. as well. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting we're going to have an overflow situation, um, which would be great. But hey, the Holy Spirit moves in the overflow room too. So uh, you, won't, you don't have to worry about that. It's going to be going to be incredible. So exciting times. Easter's just around the corner. We're going to be doing two uh, Good Friday services, two Saturday services, and two Sunday morning resurrection uh, Sunday services. So uh, check us out online for that. But we're really, really excited about. Are you setting a record for how many times you're going to preach in a weekend? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that would be the record. Yes, yeah. that would be the record for us. Uh, yeah. we're moving from three. I'm going to have four. Gatorade bottles behind you. We're going to have towels. You know, we're going to put a stool at the end. <laughs> I just say, come Holy Spirit. You know, uh, uh, so, well, you know, you you have have done the same thing. Not uh, six in a weekend. <laughs> it's uh, but you just rely on uh, the. Yeah. Grace of God and the Lord certainly has been there for Amen. us. So it's pray, be great. Praise the Lord. It's, it's going to be, be good. Yeah. Hey, last time when we were together, we, the, we were talking about uh, the whole notion of human rights and just a, a high view of human beings in general. Yeah. That's not across the board. As you travel the nations of the world, as we highlighted um, uh, from the author who grew up in India yeah. uh, in a Hindu system... Um, uh, the story of the young girl, Sheila, who was just basically left to die because young girls in that culture do not have a very high standing. Uh, Hinduism does not afford them a high standing it, at it's all. It's a fatalistic culture. There's yep. no hope. You know, there's not a lot of choices. Everything was viewed as economic burdens. Yep. We already have a girl. Girls perform these functions. Survival and, uh, mentality. It's not yeah. about improvement. It's not about, you know, coming through trusting God. It's it's just trying to, you know, make do what we have. Yeah. So you know? so we we take all that for granted because we go, no, you can't starve this girl yeah. to death. And uh, let's take her to the hospital. How are we going to pay for it? I don't know, but let's just get, we'll, we'll figure it out. I, I, Those are, I, I, it's so funny. I, I think about all these slogans, popular slogans for like Nike or like Reebok, like, like just do it. Impossible is nothing. And like these companies are all largely very secular. Yep. But the message they espouse is, is so based on Christian tradition, exactly. the idea of, of a per, interpersonal God and a we are made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. But but the message and the, the intent of the message has been separated, right? And, and his argument is basically one of the reasons the West is so prosperous is because of human dignity, the concept of human dignity. Yeah, but, that, but what we're saying is let's all pause for a moment here yeah. and ask the question, where did these ideas come from? Yeah, because, absolutely. Because your culture is shaped from ideas and things that you value, and ideas don't form in a vacuum. They came from somewhere. And so the the, the argument we're making in this series is that the ideas that have shaped Western civilization and have led to unparalleled prosperity and blessing have an origin somewhere, and that origin is in the Bible itself. And yeah. so when we read passages that children are a gift from God, yeah. wow, a gift from God, they must be valuable. Children are a reward. Well, a reward is something you want. You know, when Jesus said, don't push the kids away, have them come to me. And we see God Almighty embracing children and laying hands on them and blessing them. These are truths that shape the whole way that you view not only children, but human beings in general. Absolutely. And that shapes society, it shapes culture, it shapes nation. When you value your kids and you treasure 
the gifting in each individual and not just see them as a drag on, on resources or drag on your freedom, yeah. but see them as blessings. Society prospers and it gets better and better. You well, and, you, and you brought up a good point. The, the farther away we've gotten from this Judeo-Christian worldview, and I think the, the Roe v. Wade decision was devastating and the cheapening and the coarsening of life. But you you made another point. I think it was uh, uh, was it Seth Rogen it was on you know on uh, went viral saying that he and his wife were so grateful they don't have any kids because they can do whatever they want whenever they want. It was like the epitome of selfishness. You know, like we don't want kids to be a bother to us. Whereas before, again, kids had a way of certainly growing you up, teaching you about the value of life. Uh, you loved your children because they, they were part of your family, your, your legacy, your, you know, your heritage, your blessing. But now we're living in such a, a narcissistic culture that people either don't want to have kids or with euthanasia and some of these other things, we're, 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 we're really watching in the West what happened in the East where, the, where young people are literally babies left to die simply because they're not wanted. It's funny because, you know, you got people like Elon Musk, who's hardly a Christian, who's coming out and saying, wait, one of the reasons society is decaying and, and falling apart is a lack of reproduction, because that's how you give your your culture over to the next generation. That's to translate yep. culture. Yep. Just from a purely economic standpoint, you realize how important it is that we, we reproduce, you know? Absolutely. So from the financial level, from the economic level, people are, are starting to see that, you yes. know? Yeah. And we're, we're coming into a very treacherous place in most of the nations of the world where we're simply not not even replacing our existing yeah. population. So some some nations are on a trajectory to being non-existent yeah. um, simply because we don't value children again. So ideas have consequences. We shared last week that not only um, uh, ideas in the Bible that led to the valuing of, of humanity uh, are being critical, but one of those ideas that was absolutely critical was that we First of all, we're made in the image and likeness of God. We talked about that. But the second one was the incarnation of Christ. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Why does the incarnation bring great value to humanity? I mean, this is probably one, the, the definitive statement that our human lives are important, that God himself came in the human flesh, human body, to redeem us and save us for, for, from our sins so that we can tr have true salvation and can be with him. I mean, I don't know what more adds more value. People, someone once say like, what is something worth? What, how do you determine the worth of something? Yeah. Is, is who, how much are you willing to give for? And if you argue that Christ is infinite in value, what does that say about us? Yeah. And that he is willing to exchange you know, his life for our lives. Yeah. So Christ yeah. taking on human flesh and, and coming to this planet and walking through all the challenges and pain and suffering yeah. uh, and taking it on himself. What a what a stamp of uh, endorsement and evaluating of human flesh that Christ himself and what gets me. It's one thing that he made a little journey here for for 33 years, but he's going in, in his resurrection body, he still bears the marks of yeah. his suffering, which yeah. means he's going to spend eternity with us. Uh, in a glorified human body, which is mind-boggling to me that the second member of the Godhead would would do that. Yeah. Uh, again, it puts incredible value on humanity. And these have been the, the cornerstones, the pillars of... Um, of the view of a uh, high view of human nature and human rights in the West, created in the image of God and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And, and I think for those of us who basically was grow, grew up in Western culture or church culture, Western Civ, you know, we take all that for granted. Yeah. Oh, Jesus came and died for our sins, you know, blah, blah, blah. We don't realize this is nation shaping. 
This is cultural. This is world-changing idea that human val- human lives is intrinsically valuable, not just instrumental, but there is an inherent value because because we reflect God's glory. And, and here's the point that I think we're at today. Largely in the West, we're trying to distance ourselves from God and the belief in a Creator, a, a personal God. Um, when you when you sever God from humanity you sever the foundation of human rights. And so now you have man-created rights, which are really no rights at all. Everything becomes political and power plays. Yeah. Um, human beings do not create rights or add value by simply declaring something to be true. Um, the value came from God and what God says, not from just a politician saying, we have the right to this or we have the right to that. Um, that, that so, so you sever the very foundation of of where your rights came from in the first place, where yeah. the value came from, because you want tied to God, and you wonder why our rights are eroding bit by bit. Yeah, because you have cut off the source, the the worldview, the foundational, the intellectual foundational source yeah. to give us those rights, and to establish that we are we we are digging this. So it's interesting because popular culture today likes the fact that we we value human individualism because, and we talk about that in some of our past book because this indi- radical yeah. individualism, like yes, we value, you, but they don't like the fact that there's a God and there's accountability, right? So you want to have your pie and you, you want to have yeah. what you want, but you don't want the rest, right? You want just the flavor, but none of the carbs, right? Exactly. But it just doesn't work. Reality doesn't work. And eventually you're going to collapse. That, that worldview is going to collapse you, you want the tree and you want the fruit, yeah. but you don't want the roots. Yeah. Uh, the tree has been severed from the ground uh, and there's no roots attaching it to the source. And, you know, you talked about intellectual foundation. That's, a, that's another phrase that uh, uh, we talk about, well, why do we value intellect and why do we value an intellectual foundation and why do we seek to find an intellectual foundation which leads us really to our our next topic today which is rationality what made the west a thinking civilization um and he he says here the scientific technological military and economic success of the west came from the fact that it became a thinking civilization so when we talk about rationality what are, what are we talking about what what is it human rationality what what, kind, what what are we talking about? We talk about rationality. That well, concept. I think this is again one of those things that it's the air we breathe in the Western culture. So we take it for granted until you step out of Western culture into Eastern culture. That's why I appreciate this book so much because he really helped us, help me see how much I have taken for granted rationality. Rationality is basically. The idea that like we actually process things through general logic. If logic. something contradicts each other, we say uh, that's probably not true because it, it can't contradict itself, right? So logic, yeah. reasoning, like scientific um, rigor. We value education. Well, you can't really have science apart from uh, a belief in cultivating the human mind. That the mind right. is valuable. That the mind. How about this? That our thoughts actually correspond to the world around us. Well, yeah, like like inherently built into the universe, there are laws and there are logic laws and a scientific law, physical law, that's, in, you didn't just make it up. We didn't make it up ourselves for, for whatever purpose. It's intrinsic to the universe. So right? he asked the question, where, where did these idea, you know, this valuing of the intellect or of the uh, mind, thought logic, was it an accident in human history or we just all of a sudden but, somebody stumbled upon it? Or he asked the question, did it come from the scriptures? Yeah. Uh, and of course, our argument is that it came clearly from the scriptures. Uh, and he gives a good, talking about the Bible as the ultimate reality behind the universe, uh, being the rational word or the logos of a personal God. So it takes us right back to where we were a few weeks ago in John chapter 1. Yeah. 
Uh, of course, that word logos, that concept of logos means mind or thought or, or logic or reason. Uh, it was a Greek concept, but, but uh, John in that particular instance incorporated, and he defined who that logos or that mind was, that it was God Almighty yeah. behind all of ultimate reality, providing the order. That, in other words, if God himself is logical and rational, then the universe, it follows would also be logical and rational, and that we, being created in the image of God, would be logical and rational yeah. as well. I remember when I was in college, I really memorized John chapter 1. I really wanted to study John chapter 1. And I didn't understand at the time that John was actually making a profound uh, philosophical statement about the nature of things by saying, because in translation, he said the beginning was the Word, right? right. Word with God, Word was God. But the word was logos, yeah. and John was making a profound statement. Because let's look at the, the, the flip side. What does the world look like if rationality is not valued? That means if you're sick or you have some kind of issues, we're not doing an academic rigorous examination of what caused the sickness. We're just like, you know what? Uh, let's go to the local witch doctor, and let's and go peace some spirit. Mysticism. Yeah, you know. just just like, you know, <clears throat> it's like it's like uh, uh, everything's like mythical. Like, uh, you know... I want my sports team to win. Instead of working hard and training harder, we're going to wear the red socks and the blue socks instead. And just like that's the that's the world behind an irrational mind that doesn't value rationality. And and again, in Western culture, we take that for granted. If you go to Eastern, a lot of Eastern cultures, that's how they live, and well, that's absolutely. why they live in perpetual poverty. Yeah. That's why they live in struggle after struggle. Yeah. You know, because there's not this the rigor of hey, that's organize us, that's bring or that's bring prosperity out of this rigor of study. Well, and he he points out that uh, in Eastern culture, which he's a part of, so we're not sitting here as Westerners throwing stones at the East. We're actually reading a book written by an Easterner who who's very very familiar with Hinduism and Buddhism and uh, some of the Eastern right. worldviews. But he says that the Indian sages taught that primeval silence. Or senseless sound, which are sounds, which are mantras, or energy, or an impersonal consciousness, was what made up the ultimate reality of the universe. So you right. have two crazy opposite ideas. On the one hand, you have a Judeo-Christian worldview that says no, there is mind, and reason, rationality, and then you have an Eastern worldview that says the goal is mindlessness. Uh, that you're trying to empty your mind, not fill your mind, that your thoughts are actually illusions that you need to get rid of if you really want to get in touch with higher consciousness, um, well, that's which what is the impersonal. That's what the mantra was. Like, yep. you repeat the sound over and over again. Like, I never, I seen people do that. I, I you know, when I was in Taiwan, young, long time ago when I was a kid, yeah. I went to temples and I see monks do that. I never understood any of that. I, I, it was, I didn't understand intellectual well, just a, I guess, irrational thought, whatever is behind that. <coughs> but after reading this, I was like, oh, because they were trying to enter into, they call it Maya, which is like, well, they're trying to realize that everything is an illusion. illusion. Yeah. So, so, so think about this. Yeah. If, if your daily existence is all an illusion, then why would you do anything? Why would you create? Why would you think? I mean, you it would, it would create such a passivity. Your whole goal would be to get out of the illusion, right? Uh, so, and the way you get out of the illusion is to get rid of your thought processes, and that's why we do the mantras and the the repeating sounds that have no meaning, like om, you know, you yeah. see people in the lotus position with their hands up saying om, om, om. You know, it, what's om mean? 
nothing. It has no meaning. Uh, that's, that's the, the purpose. Point. Yeah. yeah. It's not about point. wisdom. Like, I think about, like, you know, in, in genetics, you know, high school, you learn about Mendel, you know, the monk who discovered genetics and, and like the, the peas and matching, the, you know, that took such rigor. Yeah. He had to chart everything out. He had to explore. He had to use scientific reasoning. Yep. That, there, there would be no dedication to that type of activity if it's all, if you realize this is all nothing. I want to separate myself from that world. Those, those rules, those laws, that doesn't matter. It could change any day. Today it would be one way, tomorrow it would be something different because it's all chaos. So if you right? think of, of, the, of the Eastern worldview, almost leading to a, a mindless passivity, Yeah. right? That's where drugs came from and, and crazy uh, sexual rituals and everything. The idea was to transcend thought and to uh, lose yourself. Uh, compared to a Western worldview where there's activity happening everywhere, people creating, people building, people designing. Uh, I mean, all these things that we just take for granted, but yeah. it, it came from the belief that, that we're actually made in the image of God, we can know God, we can, we can interact with the world God created through our minds, and that we can actually cultivate our minds. Now, it's interesting in the book, he pointed out that secular historians, they have to come up with some reason to separate the East from the West and the development that's taken place. So they attribute it to the printing press, which I thought was interesting. Gutenberg, the printing press, the, the creation of a movable type. And now we, can, now we can produce books and people, if they have books, they can read books and we can have this incredible scientific explosion. Yeah. But he brought out a good point that I wasn't aware of, that the Chinese and the Koreans had actually created um, uh, movable print, you know, printing presses hundreds of years before Gutenberg came on the scene. Right. And it did not create the same effect in those cultures. Right. And he brought out a, an amazing story of going to Buddhist temples where they have book... Uh, rotating bookshelves. bookshelves yeah. that are full of thousands of volumes. Yeah. And they spin. In fact, the monks, that's part of their... Uh, their worship or their their ritual is to spin these bookcases, but they're not they're not reading the books for content. They're not even looking at the books. They're they're listening to the sound of the bookcases spinning, and meditating on that sound, emptying their mind of all thought and focusing just on that sound of swirling bookcases. So mm. again, you you talk about. Uh, 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 an opposite, I guess, when you look at the comparison of the worldviews, we in the West would say, hey, stop spinning this so yes, I can grab a book. The book. I want to read and the book. study it, yeah. And study the book. I want to learn from the wisdom of the book. And they're going, no, wisdom is found through just listening to the, the whirling of the bookcase. You know, again, it shows you radically different view of reality. And I thought that was, that was a really, really amazing. You know, he talks about prayer. Uh, that prayer is rational conversation with God and that talking to God is only possible if the creator is a person. So here again, Christians posit a creator who's personal and rational and therefore someone we can actually communicate with. Those in the East, Buddhism, Hinduism, have a impersonal consciousness. In other words, you're trying to become one with the universe, and the universe itself is impersonal, it's unknowable, you can't communicate yeah. with it. So again, diametrically opposed directions based on simple ideas. I, I thought, I just had this thought, you know, it's interesting because there's a degree of parallel, but, 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 and this is very deceptive because there's a, you know, in Christian faith, we're called to lose ourselves, to die to ourselves. There's a degree of that, right? In Eastern religion, there's much of that losing of yourself. 
but but in the Eastern religion, losing yourself is the end. That is the end. But 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 if you look at what Jesus says, he said he said if you die to yourself, then you will truly live. So that or is if just you a lose means. Yourself, yeah. You'll find you'll yourself. You'll truly find right. So Christianity is not about obliterating you. You're actually valuable and precious. Right. But it's about obliterating our selfishness and finding ourselves in our Creator. It's kind of like what I shared, you know, when I, that sermon a couple of weeks ago. When 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 Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give away all his wealth, you know, where Eastern religions like that's what they do. Like when you're an emperor and you give all your wealth and you become a monk, you become impoverished, and that's what sacredness look. Christ is actually inviting him to greater riches. Yeah. He's redefining riches. So, so again, I, I say this all the time, like the, the, the word that summarized Eastern religion is nothing, whereas the word that summarized Christian worldview is God is everything. You know, it's, it's a very compelling difference. Now, in between, there are some, some similarities in, in, in those, you know, dying to self and losing yourself, but that's, we can't get confused in that. Right. You know, we got to realize what is the end God says, no, I am everything, and I want you to be part of us. That's his message. Join me. And what I right. love is you're, you're, not, you're not obliterating self like Eastern religions. You're actually finding your true self, and that true self is going to live forever. I mean, yeah. you're an eternal self. You can't be more real than that. Yeah, than someone right. who lives forever. And, and, and yeah. you will be, like, you and I will be, we'll know each other. Right. Like, I'm going to know you in eternity. Yeah. Hey, there's Andrew. I'm not a cloud that just merges right. with different right. things. You're gonna, you will retain your yeah. personal identity forever, yeah. um, which, again, is a, a beautiful truth about Christianity uh, and something that's very ugly. And we talked about the endless cycle of reincarnation and lack of personality or personhood or worth or value. Uh, it's depressing. Um, yeah. And even, you know, we, uh, he talks about transcendental meditation, how when he was in college, uh, some of the Western professors were into this, you know, new age kind of stuff. And, and meditation for Easterners means empty your mind. Mm-hmm. Meditation for Christians means fill your mind. It's completely opposite. So when we talk about meditate on the word, we're not emptying our minds right. of truth. We're trying to take a truth from Scripture and right. and let the Holy Spirit uh, reveal a deeper meaning of what that what that verse promises or what that verse says. It, it's completely opposite. Yeah, the Paul, Paul just says, "Renew your mind. Yes. Renew it. Make your mind align with the mind of Christ. Repent so you can think differently. Not get rid of your mind. Exactly. You know, mindlessness yeah. or, or irrationality. Now, this is interesting. You know, I taught a class uh, at uh, at Indiana Wesleyan University, as you did. We were both uh, adjunct professors over there. You got more of the scientific stuff because sure. of your background. I taught a class called uh, Philosophy and Christian Thought, and he brought out a good point that was part of that class. When you look at the Greeks. Um, the Greeks believed in the intellect and the mind because they believed in the concept of logos. The problem was they used their minds uh, simply to win arguments. And some of the skeptics came along and they said, look, if two, if you and I can both argue from different vantage points and both make our arguments sound appealing, then how do we know which one's right? And, it, and if since both cannot be right if they're arguing opposite things, right, the law of non-contradiction, um, then how do we really know what truth is? And so when they, when they ended up losing Logos or the truth or God, then what happened next was skepticism. Well, how can we really trust our minds? Well, maybe our minds don't always lead us to truth. How do we really know truth? And it becomes all political, political persuasion. Right. right? It just becomes two people making an argument, like right. lawyers in the well, court. Arguing just for the sake of arguing, right? And, and then if you, if as soon as as soon as uh, 
uh, you begin to be cynical and doubt or skeptical about your mind, what follows that is mysticism, uh, which is, again, irrationality. And that's really, you know, I think about where we are in the West today. Uh, if you were to come lecture at a university campus and it was a progressive woke campus and they found out you were a Christian, it's happening right now with Charlie Kirk. Yeah, I, I saw, saw, I saw the, yeah, uh, uh, UC Davis, I think. Yeah, UC Davis. I mean, yeah. we, they, they, put won't barricades even, they won't even let somebody come in and share an idea because we've, we're no longer rational, we're irrational, and we simply use our viewpoint to push our agenda, which has become purely political and power-based. Yeah, right. It's not truth-based. Right. And so you have chaos, you have violence, and you really have an irrationality where you're not even able to sit down with another person and have an dis honest discussion for the sake of truth. Uh, so, so it's interesting that our, our universities that used to be places where you can have an open discussion and sharing of ideas are just the opposite now. Uh, but there's a reason for that. And, and as we talked about, when you lose God, everything becomes power. Now we have all these uh, neo-Marxist ideologies that are driving all of this. And God help us, because these are law students. You know, I mean, these are law students that can't even listen to an oppositional view, which is what law is all about, is having debate and argument well, and so applying just, the law. You're supposed to apply justice, right? Absolutely. Yeah, with the ultimate goal being justice and right. truth. Uh, so forget all of that. Yep. I mean, it's going to be... Uh, it's a, it's a brave new world. So anyway, that that's interesting. When you reject a rational God who communicates truth, eventually you lose your confidence in reason itself. And you were talking about that, how we use the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. We also use reason to destroy reason. Yeah. Uh, and when you lose God, you lose you lose the roots. You lose the foundation. Yeah. You use the First Amendment right that you've been given to criticize, deride, and censor other people. I mean, essentially destroyed the First Amendment right. Exactly. You know, and and again, you use reason to go and and to go and destroy the source of reason and, and destroy a discourse and actually being open minded to different ideas. Yeah. And next thing you know, you dive back into mysticism. And this has happened historically. This is what happened. In, what's happened in America today is not novel, right? This right. has happened over and over again. Right. And, and uh, so historically, we go back to his point, and I think it was good. We were, we were chatting about it, and, and again, in our pre-podcast uh, discussion, um, you, you look at what happened in Europe, which was largely Roman Catholic, and at the time had, had drifted into mysticism. Let's just say it was not being biblically rooted. We had all the relics of the saints and, yeah. and all these things, and the people did not were not taught the scriptures. They were not allowed to read the scriptures. And so you have a very um, corrupt uh, political um, uh, and mystical uh, church. So what happens? You have the reformers like Wycliffe and Tyndale and Luther and Calvin. You have the taking of the scriptures and, and the translation into the language of the common people. And so now you take the Logos, right, the yeah. Word of God, and you put it in the hands of the common person, and you have the Protestant Reformation, which was incredible in terms of uh, creating Western civilization and all the technological, scientific, you know, um, health developments, uh, inventions, all of that, the, the, the economic prosperity uh, was impacted when people began to study the Word of God, which is what separated um, uh, Catholicism from Protestantism. And as he pointed out in the book, you take a little nation like England, 
And all of a sudden, England, the people of England get the Bible in their hands. They start sitting in alehouses and, and debating Scripture. And it's kind of like, I, I liken it to, to those of us who were called conspiracy theorists. It's mm-hmm. like, all of a sudden, all those things, you're scratching your head going, well, that doesn't seem right, like right. the selling of indulgences. Or, or right. hey, here's a, here's a piece of the cross Jesus was crucified on, come and worship, you know. Or the the, the little was the, the, the teeth, baby teeth of Jesus, baby teeth of Jesus, or, or you know, yeah, people or, start going. Wait a minute! Yeah, you give some money and you you you're in perdition perdition for three hundred thirty six years less or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, I mean, any kind of thinking person would say this this does not seem right. Well, all of a sudden they get the Bible, <laughs> and then they start reading it for themselves. And as you said, which king was it that expected Henry VIII. Henry VIII expected them to be docile and passive, and instead it awakened a bunch of revolutionaries. Yeah, I mean, I told you this before. I was always amazed how a little little island nation of Britain, Great Britain, became such a super powerhouse. Yeah, they yeah. they controlled almost the entire globe. And it's like, well, how did they do that? Well, it's because of the intellectual prowess. The intellectual mentality behind that, and and again, just what he was saying was because of all that was happening with First um, uh, Henry VIII, give access to everyone to read the Bible because he thought he would make them more docile, make, yeah. make people compliant. more docile, compliant. It had the opposite effect. People start having their own opinion because now they have this access to the sacred scripture. They start questioning everything. But what this d- did is it created intellectual revolution movement because they were like, wait, we can read and God wants to speak to us and there's wisdom. Wisdom is important and we should get more wisdom and we should learn how to read and discover and all of a sudden transform the nation. You know. So the whole notion of the cultivation of the mind as a holy thing, like God has spoken to us he is a wise creator. The universe is full of wisdom. Let's read the Bible and meditate on God's words because God's words will give us wisdom to know how to navigate life and how to be successful. And so you have people reading books, writing books, studying books, all the universities that came out of, uh, you know, when you, when you look even in America, I think out of the first 300 universities, um, Almost all of them were founded on the belief and for, for the glory of God and for the cultivation of the Christian mind and the pursuit of truth. Yeah. So this led to this led to this is why America is who we are today and why we cultivate and have a value in in understanding and wisdom and knowledge and all these things. But as we pointed out, as soon as you sever this from their source, from God Almighty, who is the Logos, um, as soon as you sever it from belief in God, you end up dr- drifting into the mess that we have today. Our universities today are are poisonous centers of all kinds of hideous uh, uh, ideologies that are really destroying the, the very nation that, that was once so great because we've lost God. Uh, so if we're going to recover our great intellectual prowess, we've got to return to the scriptures. We've got to return to our belief well, in God. You, you mentioned how what's happening with the Greeks is is a cynicism that built into because persuasion logic was used for political purpose to achieve power. It wasn't to, to discover truth, right, right? To spin things. Look at America today. I mean, what is truth? What is not true? Everything is a spin. Everything yep. is a narrative. And that's why skepticism is creeping in, and that's why we're drifting into irrationality. Well, you watch a TV, ch- a news channel, not to get the news, you get to get a narrative that right. complies with your belief. And that's where irrational, because we have cut ourselves from an ultimate source of truth. And then, God. you know, the, the issue today of, of trust. Like, who do we trust? 
Uh, well, when when there is no God and there is no standard of truth yeah. and everything's political, you you I guess you trust your camp or your tribe, but you can't even trust them because everybody's in it for themselves. Well, we, you you and I even talked about science has been politicized. Yeah, you know, so that we can't even trust science because science is whatever the scientists decide to tell you what data and what data to hold back. Because of the lack of truth, everything is politicized. So even science, which is supposed to be objective, is no longer objective. You mean you don't trust Pfizer oh, to give us goodness. the... Oh, my goodness. You don't trust Dr. Fauci? Uh, amazing. Yeah. So again, it, yeah. if a scientist is not grounded in God and in truth, then that scientist is just out for personal uh, or political gain. They have an agenda. Absolutely. And that's where we're at today. Almost, you know, these banks that are folding up, again, there's reasons for that lack of public trust you know you got all these public disasters that are happening whether it's uh, trains going off the track environmental disasters uh, uh election integrity we got all kinds of stuff that that is causing people to scratch their heads and wonder if, if uh, january 6th if the whole yeah the, the whole the, narrative around that again how are you going to build how are you going to build trust yeah but you can't have trust if you don't have truth you can't have truth if you don't have a creator who is the standard for truth and you'll, you'll never know truth if god's not logical and rational and if god hasn't chosen to communicate but god has chosen to communicate he's communicated in his son he's communicated in creation he's communicated in the fact that he has spoken to us thus saith the lord we have scriptures this is the foundation of the incredible success of the west and if you lose god you lose it all and so Let's. We need an awakening. We need a spiritual awakening. If that happens, it will lead to the recovery, I believe, of every great institution, uh, republic institution that our nation's been built upon, and it can lead to a restoration of the incredible prosperity, not only spiritual prosperity, but moral uh, and physical and economic uh, prosperity that has been so much a part of the West. So that is our plea, and that's why we do these podcasts, and I hope that just that connection right there... Uh, it really helps people to, uh, yeah. to treasure um, the the heritage that we have. It helped me. I mean, even someone who, you know, again, grew up in the Western culture. I have some Eastern background, but for me to truly appreciate, wow, yeah, I love rationality. Thank yeah. God for rationality. But yeah. where did the rationality come from? I think Christians ourselves need to understand the the, the foundational truth that the Bible has given us lead to such pros- led to such prosperity, and, and we need to defend it vigorously. Yeah, we we need to recover it and defend it, as you said. So yeah. that's what that's our goal here. We hope this is helpful to you. We'll be back next Thursday. Uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Again, thank you for liking this. Thank you for giving us comments. Thank you for sharing it uh, and helping us uh, spread this truth far and wide. All right, love you guys. We'll see you next week.